0: so good to have you here with us today and i'm so excited to be talking to you again i wish it was in person but that's okay um we're here together in one heart one spirit so that's the important thing and uh it's been so good having the 10 series going on i thought trinity did an amazing job last week talking about the sabbath uh anna's done an incredible job talking about having no idols and I don't know if you realize this about the 10 commandments but the first four are all about our relationship with god and the last six is all about our relationship with others uh, the first four talk about you know have no other gods have no other idols don't misuse my name and even the sabbath even though it's talking about us taking a day of rest it's a taking a day of rest and acknowledging god taking time out to acknowledge god so it's all about our relationship with Him. And the last six are all about how we treat others. Uh, that's why there's do not murder, do not steal, um, all, you know, do not commit adultery. All those things are all in there. It's all about how we treat others. And I think the thing that we have to understand when it comes to God, when it comes to the kingdom, when it comes to the Word of God, things that are in order are not just by chance. God puts things in a particular order on purpose. And it's really interesting that the first commandment that he gives us in regards to treating others is this. Exodus 20 verse 12 says, Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. It's interesting to me that this is the first one that is mentioned out of how we treat other people. It's also interesting to me that it's the only commandment that actually comes with a promise. That if you honor your mother and father, you will live a long, full life in the land that the Lord God has given you. In other words, the outcome or the consequences of honoring your father and mother means that you have a long, full life. You have a great life. Here's my problem with it, though. Not all of us have parents that we feel like we could honor. In fact, some of you have suffered severely under the hands of your parents as they've raised you. Some of you have come from incredibly broken families. Maybe your dad was an alcoholic and abusive. We've all suffered, some of you have suffered hugely under the hands of our parents. And so it seems really unfair and wrong That God would tell us to honor parents that have really been dishonorable in their behavior. The reason why God wants us to honor parents, I also think it's the hardest one out of all of them to do. It's pretty easy not to murder someone. It's pretty easy not to steal from someone, but this is quite hard to give honor to someone that we feel is dishonorable. It's quite a difficult thing for us to do, and so... I think it's one of the hardest of all the commandments to keep. The thing is, though, is that this is not just about parents. This is actually about family. And God designed family. God is for family. God loves family. And we all know that whatever God designs and God loves, well, the enemy wants to destroy. And so because God loves family, the devil hates family. And he is doing everything he can to destroy family. Because the devil also understands this. He understands that a destroyed family or dysfunctional family leads to dysfunctional communities. Dysfunctional communities leads to dysfunctional cities, which leads to a dysfunctional nation, which leads to a dysfunctional world. That's why family is always under attack because it's the one thing where everything starts from. If we have families that function and operate biblically, then we're going to have a community that function and operate biblically. Then we have a nation that, yeah, so you can see the pattern all the way through. And the devil understood this right from the beginning. He understood that God designed families so that The bond between parents and children would not only be the cement that holds a family together, but also be the cement that holds communities together or society together. And he understood this. And we can see a pattern uh, in the book of Genesis, starting at Genesis chapter 3, where sin comes into the world, first through Eve and then through Adam so the enemy understands while i've got to destroy individuals i also need to destroy marriages and so sin comes into the world destroys an individual and then destroys them as a couple and then we leap over into chapter four and before you know it sin has now gone from an individual to a marriage to now we have cain and abel where we know that cain murders his brother Able. So now we've gone from the dysfunctioning individual to a dysfunctioning marriage to dysfunctioning family. And then if you read on after that, especially from chapter six, where we start to see the story of Noah, where God says, man, the world is so out of control. It's so sinful. It's so destructive that my only option is to get you, Noah, to build an ark, And have one of each animal and everything come onto the ark. You and your family will be safe. And then I'm going to flood the earth, destroy all of mankind, and start again. And so the enemy understood right from the beginning, if he can get an individual, then he can get a marriage. If he can get a marriage, he can get the family. If he can get the family, he can destroy society. And that's still his plan today. Why? Because God showed right from the beginning that that was his plan of seeing a world return to him. There's God the Father. He says, Call me Abba God. In other words, Daddy God. God sees himself as a father, He has His Son Jesus to restore man back to him, mankind back to him, uh, the church, that's you and I, the people, we're considered to not only be the bride of Christ as in a marriage to Jesus, but also that we are the family of God. And the family of God is called to what? To go into all the world and make disciples of all people, You know, returning them to God, leading them to Christ that we're to fill heaven and plunder hell. And so the enemy understands that God's plan spiritually has been that the family of God function correctly so that it can reach those that are not part of the family of God. And so there's a, there's a stream that runs all the way through scripture where the enemy understands family is highly, highly important to God. It's strategic to God. And he understands that if he can destroy family, he can destroy the world. God understands if he can get family operating correctly, then he can get society operating correctly. And we need to understand that what the what the devil does here from Genesis 3 through to 12 is he systematically goes through from individual to marriage to family to society to world. And we've got to recognize that because God loves family, the devil hates family. He knows that if he wants to destroy our world and destroy communities, he's got to destroy family. And that's why this is such a hard commandment Because there are families throughout our nation, throughout our communities, that are dysfunctional and have been destroyed and have people, parents, children alike, just destroy family unit. But God designed that way that family would be the key that brings transformation to people's lives, that brings transformation to community. God loves family and God created family as a blueprint of how things should function correctly and then set the example by being a great father himself you see God has made us and shaped us for relationships both with him but also with each other God has designed us to have relationship and God intended families uh, the family relationship to provide the intimate, secure, and supportive environment for a child's nurture into maturity. God created it that way. He created families to be a place of belonging, trust, of learning, and loving. Yet, when family goes wrong, it becomes a place of a lot of bitterness, and a lot of hurt, and a lot of pain. We need to understand, as I've already said, that if God loves family, the devil hates family. And God sets an example of how family should behave. And he's a model father that cares for us deeply. Some of us struggle with the problem with God being father because our fathers were so horrendous or so bad that we just, the idea that God's our father just makes us want to run from him, not run to him. And the big mistake that you and I can make is that we filter Father God through the experiences of our earthly father. Father God is not your earthly father. He is. I am not saying that he is like your dad. He is nowhere near like your dad. Even if you had a good dad, he's nowhere like like your dad. Because God as Father is fathering as it should be. God is the perfect Father. God is like a dad that you have never had and never experienced. Because he, as father, is perfectly good, perfectly faithful, perfectly true, perfectly trustworthy. He cares deeply for those particularly that come from broken homes or come from broken situations. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a husband to the widow. God cares greatly about those that have not experienced great upbringings. He is the perfect father, the perfect one that you'll ever, ever experience. And the way that he loves us is a pattern for how we should love each other. It's an example of how we should love each other, both within the family unit and both outside of the family unit. And not only that, if you've come from a broken home, here's the thing, God also provides the power of healing families. He heals families through the Holy Spirit, which he gives to each and every one of us. I want to tell you, if you come from a broken home, God can heal your family unit. And so when we understand how important family is to God, how important family is to the world, and how much the devil hates it, it becomes really difficult to hear a commandment that says, honor your mother and father, when maybe you've been raised so badly that the last thing you want to do is even talk to them, let alone give them honor. So what does honor actually mean? Because I think this is where we get it wrong sometimes to honor someone simply means this to give value to, to give value to. It means esteeming them of worth. It's saying, Hey, you're of worth that you matter. It's, It's even if we disagree with someone, we can say that they have value, that they're important to our world. It it rules out the whole idea that we have an attitude because of what they've done to us, where we reject our parents and we treat them as absolutely worthless. You see, to add value or to, to esteem someone of worth Is what we're meant to do for every single person that's ever been created because every single person that's ever been created has been created in the image of God they are a child or daughter or son of the most high God whether they know God or whether they don't know God, they're still created in the image of him. And because they're created in his image and because he's creator, they have value and they have worth. And you can give someone honor even though you don't like their behavior. You can give someone honor even if you disagree with them. You can give someone honor even if you don't trust them or even if you don't respect them because the honor means, hey, you have value. I want to tell you that every single person created from God deserves value. Don't get honor confused with trust and respect because they're not the same thing. You can can treat someone with honor even though you don't trust them and don't respect them. Why? Because honor is given, trust and respect is earned. Honor is given, trust and respect is earned. And here's the thing. I want to break this down for you a little bit today. I want to show you how you can give honor. But parents, I want to show you how you can earn trust and respect and earn the honor that the Bible says that kids must give. And so how do we give honor? Well, the Bible's really, really clear that we have to give honor, that we have to give honor towards our parents. And so how do we do that? Well, the first thing is, I think we've got to accept them. You have to accept your parents. You you can't despise them. You can't pretend that they don't exist. You have to accept them. The Bible says this in Proverbs 23, verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Here's the thing. God's not saying in that scripture that God is asking you to pretend that they are perfect when they're not or that they are always right. He's not asking you to agree with everything they ever say. He's not asking you to, to uh, put your head in the sand and pretend that some of the things that happened to you in your childhood didn't happen. He's just saying this. He's saying, hey, treat them with honor. Accept them. They are your parents. It's a little bit like, if we put it this way, if I was in court, the judge, the, the thing that you would call the judge is your honor. Your honor. You you give him the honor and that he's due because he's, his position is judge he's got a position of authority that doesn't mean that that judge outside of that courtroom has great character it doesn't mean that he's a he's a godly person it doesn't mean that he's always right it doesn't mean that he's always right even in the courtroom it just identifies that the position that he holds is judge and so there's a value to that and shall we show honor to the position? He holds. And that's what it means to accept your parents. It's just to give honor to the fact that they're your parents. Your mum gave birth to you. Your dad gave life to you. They may not have raised you well. You may have suffered under it. But the reality is you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. And so we need to accept them. The second thing is, is that we need to appreciate them. Appreciate them. You might be like, man, how, how can I... Appreciate them with everything that they did. Well, you can find something that helps you to appreciate them. For example, even if they didn't raise you brilliantly, they probably fed you. They probably made sure you had some clothes, that you had a roof to sleep under. There, There is part that even if it's difficult, you can find something where you can appreciate them for at least bringing you up with some essentials in your life you see parenting is incredibly difficult it's time consuming and it's a really highly demanding job and mums sometimes have a thousand things that they're doing at once and mums are amazing every single mum i think you're amazing many of the skills and the abilities and the interests that we pride ourselves with are the things that we that have been passed on to us by our parents some of the great characteristics that you have not, not not talking about the bad stuff but i'm talking about some of the great characteristics that you have that you caught from your parents some of those great abilities maybe you're an incredible cook because your mum was an incredible cook some of those things that you you look at and you're like man that's that's a valuable thing to me are things that we have learnt from them whether they be good or whether they have been bad at their parenting so find practical ways that you can show your appreciation to them write them a card drop them a text give them a phone call when all of this is over pop in and visit them surprise them yeah at christmas time get them a decent gift like do something that kind of says hey i appreciate what you did for me not everything they did may have been good but there is something that you can find that that you can appreciate them for. Third thing is is affirm them. Accept them, appreciate them, affirm them. To affirm means to strengthen and support. And, And the one way that we can do this is by voicing our praise of them, by saying something about them that's a great quality and praising it. Praises affirming something about someone that we know and have experienced to be true. You know, I, I can think of a story that I've told before, but Trinity had this one student where she just could not find anything about that student that she liked. And she prayed and she said god you've got to give me something that i like about these kids because she's dealing with really really difficult kids so if you can't find something that you like about them it's really hard to tolerate them and so she'd been praying and asking god show me something and i remember her saying to me there's literally nothing about this kid that i could like and then one day when she was in the office and he walks in she looks down and she sees, sees his shoes and I don't even know if she really liked his shoes or not, but she just said to him, hey, nice shoes. You've got nice shoes. She found something that she could praise him about. Do you know just by saying you have nice shoes that that boy's attitude changed and turned around and she discovered a whole lot of things that she liked about him. He was just hurt. He was just in pain. And I want to tell you, praise can crack open the door to somebody. Find something that you can appreciate them. Tell them how grateful you are that they, for all that they gave you, for all that they shaped in you, for all that they taught you. Find something. Not everything they taught you is bad. Find something. There's always something that you can find that you can be grateful for in regards to your parents. How you speak to them will affirm them. Speak with honor and regard to them. Now, I know some of you listening to this are like, you don't understand the upbringing I had. And you know what? I don't, because I didn't have a tough upbringing. But God understands. And God is saying, hey, look, you need to find something, some way that you can accept them, some way that you can affirm them, some way that you can be grateful for them. And then the thing is, is once you do that, Act on it, straight away. Act now. Don't don't wait for a crisis. Don't wait for a deathbed moment. Act now. Make peace with them now. Too many people live lives of regret because they left a whole lot of things unsaid. Don't wait until they died. You can't reconcile with them then. Do something now. To honor your parents means to obey them when you're younger, to support them as they're older, and to add value to them all through the years. It's to obey them when you're younger, to support them when they're older, and to value them through all the years. I want to encourage you, if you've had an incredible difficult upbringing, you can do this. You can do this. God is with you. God can bring about healing. You know, here's the thing. You need to do this for you, not for them. Because you need healing for this. You need to be whole again. God, the Holy Spirit, is right there with you. He can lead you. He can guide you. He can heal you in this process so that you can give honor to your parents. So as much as children have a duty to honor their parents, parents, we need to earn the trust and respect and the honor of our kids. One of the ways that we can do that is we can work at our parenting, work at our parenting. You see, parenting involves a careful use of a whole lot of skills and abilities and and then applying it to them. It's not an exact science and, and it doesn't need to be an unyielding rule with an iron fist. It's just applying some of those skills and abilities that you have in such a way that the kids feel loved and cared for. And we can always be working at that. Can I tell you that one of the best things that you can do for your kids, the most pivotal thing that you can do for for the life of your family is to have a stable parental relationship. Husband and wife relationship that is stable. The nature and the quality of a parent's relationship has lifelong consequences for the children. The state of your marriage and the relationship that you have together will do more for your children than anything else that you do. That will provide a place of security, It'll provide a place of, of comfort and love and everything else. It comes from that relationship. A stable marriage is the best foundation for a solid family. And the greatest gift any parent can give a child is to love the other parent. Now, I say all that to say this. If you come from a single parent family, I want to tell you, single parents, you are amazing. We love you, we honor you, and we affirm you today. We want to build you up and certainly not pull you down. If you are a single parent family, it doesn't mean that God can't do this for you. God can do all the same stuff as even if you weren't a single parent family. In fact, I would say this, that God knows your situation and God knows you. God knows the circumstances you face. God knows your struggles. God knows the effort that you're putting in. I can only guess how hard it is to raise children on your own. I know Trinity and I over the years have struggled to raise our kids at times and there was two of us. So I think single parent families, you are doing an amazing, amazing job. I think of the solo parents in our church. And you're doing a fantastic job with your kids. You're doing a really, really, really good job. You're doing an amazing thing. And I want to encourage you. Remember, Jesus can be your husband. God is the he's the husband to the widow. He can be with you. He can help you. He can guide you. He can make up the gaps. He can fill in the gaps. God can do that. Single parents, the way that you manage the way you raise your children, the way that you manage with all of that, I can tell you that it fills me with awe and respect for you. And I want you to know that we love you, that your church family loves you, and that we are here to help you in any way that we can. You are not alone. You are part of a family and we're here to help. The second thing that you can do is that you can enforce discipline. You can force Discipline. It's an area that none of us as parents we enjoy. No parent goes, oh, great, I get to discipline my kid today. We, we don't enjoy disciplining, and we, and we wish that we never had to, and I'm pretty sure that our kids wish that we never had to as well. But yet, discipline is vitally important, and it is good, and it is one of the characteristics of God. In fact, in Hebrews 6, uh, 12, 6, it says this, because the Lord disciplines those he loves in other words he's saying this if i love you i'm going to discipline you discipline should always come from a place of love never from a place of anger or frustration but we discipline because we love so what, what does that mean well if god disciplines because he cares it's because he does not want us to be hurt or see us hurt We discipline our kids, for example, if they're going to run out onto the road when they're little, we discipline them because we don't want them to get hurt or killed or hit by a car. We discipline them because we love them. You see, discipline is protection, not punishment. Discipline is protection, not punishment. I'm trying to save my child from hurt. I'm trying to save my child from making the mistakes that I've made. I'm helping them. I'm protecting them in their future. The purpose of discipline is never to inflict pain or shame. It is to help teach children so that they will learn and not harm themselves in the future. You see, a failure to discipline is a failure to love. A failure to discipline is a failure to love. Proverbs 13.24 says, those who spear the rod of discipline hate their children those who love their children care enough to discipline them in other words if you're not disciplining your kids scripture says you don't really love them because you're not protecting them you're not keeping them safe from things that happen now i say all that to say this discipline is a massive subject and i think we can all get it really wrong at times And we don't have enough time to go into all the aspects of discipline. But can I just give you some quick things about what discipline shouldn't be or how discipline shouldn't happen? Because remember, discipline is not punishment. Discipline is protection. And so the first thing is, it should not be psychologically hurtful. Don't don't do stuff that hurts them psychologically. You know, there's this great saying, that i heard as a kid it's not a great saying at all actually it's a dumb saying you know sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt me it's the biggest lie you'll ever hear because i can break my bone as a kid and it recovers and i don't even remember how painful it was but i can remember the words said to me by teachers i can remember the words said to me by kids i can remember those things words psychological damage can do a lot more damage to people than any physical damage don't do that with your kids don't do the silent treatment don't do the passive aggressive thing don't do that to your kids you'll do long harmful damage to them next don't don't carry out discipline when you're angry or there's a rage always do it when you're calm it's got to come from a place of love if you discipline when you're angry you're going to over discipline you're going to over discipline and that leads me to the next thing. It should be appropriate to the offense. Don't over-discipline your kid. You know, if they're late home from school because they hung out with a friend when they're meant to be home, I get that you need to discipline. But don't don't ground them for 12 months. That's over the top. That's an over the top thing. Here's that, another thing that may help you, and this may be controversial for some of you, but don't don't ground them from being at youth or church. Like don't don't. Ground them from being with their friends, ground them from going to the movies, ground them from whatever you want to do, but don't ground them from an opportunity for them to be in the presence of God where God can get in contact with them so strongly that that attitude that you're worried about or that behavior that you're worried about can be transformed in one moment with God. Don't keep them away from the presence of God. In fact, push them into it because that's going to help you more than anything else. The next thing is make sure you both agree on the discipline and then hold to it. Don't one of you go, you know, one of the mistakes Trini and I made early on is that I thought she was too soft, so I was harder on the kids. She thought I was too hard, so she went softer, so I went harder. So we, we weren't on the same page together. Poor kids were so confused. They could get away with some stuff with mum and nothing with dad. And, and, and that's not a good pattern. You've got to sit down. You've got to have a discussion as parents and go, okay, this is the discipline we're going to put in. Be in agreement. Hold to it. Worst thing you can do is confuse your kids with discipline. The other thing is that discipline should not be carried out unless there's a clear, willful breach of whatever rule you have. If it's not willful on purpose, in other words, then you can't punish them for that. If they don't know the rule or you haven't clarified it well or they've just made a mistake, don't punish them for it. Sit them down and say, hey, in future don't do this or that or whatever the other thing, but you can't punish them for something that they don't really realize is wrong. The next thing is, is it should be explained. You've got to explain why the punishment is, not just grounding you, what for? Because I'm the parent. That's not an answer. That's not an explanation. That's not how you do it. It should not be cruel in any way, shape or form, and it should always be followed up with affirmation of love. It's always one area that my kids have always struggled with in regards to me um, and Trinity because whenever we've disciplined our kids in their lives, um, within five minutes, I'm going into their room to give them a hug. They don't want hugs because they're angry with me, but I, I want to affirm them. I want to let them know that I love them. I don't like the behavior, but I love them, and I can separate their behavior from them as a person. They need to know that they're loved, that they're affirmed, their behavior, no, but them as a person, yes. And the other thing is, once discipline has happened, the matter should be closed as the price has been paid. Once they've paid the price for it, let it go. Don't hold on to it. Don't use it as, you know, like, oh, three weeks ago you did the same thing. So, no, no, once they've paid for it, they've paid for it every every time don't don't let it accumulate it's not compounding interest yeah so just some things that will hopefully help you around disciplining your kids the third thing and the last thing uh the third thing that i want to talk to you about in parenting and gaining honor and respect and trust from your kids is praise them. an atmosphere of praise is the best environment for children and parents to grow in parents should set the example and lead the way in this I think that you can praise your kids. Kids will always reproduce what they get praised for. And kids are always looking for praise. You know, when the kids were little, look at me, Dad, I can do a roly-poly. And they couldn't even do a forward roll properly. You know, it was all over the place. But I don't want go, that's the worst forward roll I've ever seen. No, you, you do the whole thing. That's amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. You're amazing. I'll do it again then. What you praise gets repeated. I want to encourage you, praise them when they get things right. What we tend to do is we tend to tell them when they get things wrong and hardly mention it when they get things right. Praise them when they get things right. Because one of the saddest thing as a parent is to have their child continually put down because it destroys their confidence and it destroys their self-esteem just praise them yes discipline them but make sure you praise them more in their successes than you do discipline them in their weaknesses we must be quick to compliment and credit and slow to criticize and condemn if we can do this if we can be quick to compliment then friend, I want to tell you, your kids are going to thrive and they're going to flourish and they're going to grow in that kind of environment. It will also teach them lessons on how they should treat others as they grow up so that they understand this is what you do. We praise people. We don't put people down. The last thing that we need to do as parents so that we can gain honor, trust and respect from our children is let uh, learn to let go. Learn to let go. You need to learn to let go. Parents can nurture an atmosphere of acceptance by giving space to their kids. What am I saying? I'm not saying that give them room to do whatever they wanna do, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying give them space to be them, to explore their personality, to be who they are. If they've got a real stubborn streak like Madison did as a child, had a severe stubborn streak, Don't crush it, shape it. Don't crush it, shape it. I think we've managed to shape that stubbornness that as she went through her high school years because she had a relationship with Jesus, that stubbornness stopped her from the party life. That stubbornness stopped her from compromising. Don't crush those things, shape those things. Um, It means freeing them to be themselves, letting them make their own mistakes. Don't save them from mistakes. We don't learn from our successes. We learn from our failures. And as long as those failures aren't going to physically or emotionally damage them, then let, let them let them make mistakes. And then just be there, say, hey, good try, good effort. Try again, don't quit, don't, don't bag them out when they fail, because then they're gonna grow up in life fearing failure. And when you fear failure, you don't attempt anything. So." You know, let them make mistakes, but don't condemn them for the mistakes. Um, because sometimes some kids just got to learn the hard way. We had that with Seth when he was little. Don't touch the fire, it's hot. Don't touch the fire, it's hot. Don't touch the fire, it's hot. He wouldn't listen. So one day I just let him touch the fire. Yes, it burnt him, but he never touched it again. He had to learn the hard way because he wasn't listening. And so I want to encourage you, don't, don't rescue your kids from stuff that they need to learn. Be there, make sure you're there to love them and support them and give them a big hug when things don't work out, but you don't have to rescue them from everything. They need to learn. You see, accepting love frees, protects, and ultimately releases a person. Accepting love frees, protects, and ultimately releases them. If you're struggling with parenting, remember this. God is with you. God is for you. God understands what you're going through. He's a parent. He has to deal with me, and he has to deal with you. He had to deal with Israel all the way through the Old Testament. God gets it. God designed. God created family. He knows how it should function. He knows when it's not functioning right, but he's there for you. He's with you. You're not on your own in all of this. God has provided resources to us in the Bible and in the Holy Spirit, And even within our church family environment to help us as we navigate and as we parent faithfully. If you're struggling with your parents, not with parenting, but with your parents because of the upbringing, remember, God is involved in families. Remember, God wants to see healing come to you. He doesn't want you living with the pain and the hurt. And the heartache he wants to see you healed and your family healed even Jesus as he is dying on the cross one of the last things that he did was make sure his mother Mary was looked after God is all about family whether we are parents or we have to deal with parents the resources of the Holy Spirit the Bible Scripture God the church is here and available to us God can God will and God does transform families it's what he does it's easy to get discouraged about family because families are the areas where we all make mistakes but here's the thing God understands that we're gonna make mistakes but God's plan is still families he doesn't have a plan B he has a plan a he's gonna help you he's gonna walk with you he wants it to be a success as much as As you do you see all through our community all over our nation all over our world there are casualties of family everywhere openly broken ones and ones that aren't open but there's a whole lot of tension under the surface and your experiences and regrets and your experience of family may have caused you to believe that you are stuck in a mold that you can't get out of. But I want to tell you, God can forgive, God can change all of those things, even the really bad ones and bring about transformation, bring about healing, bring about reconciliation. You see, Jesus died on the cross and he rose again so that the gap between us and God would be closed, but also so the gap between individuals could be healed. God came to not just to save us, but to heal us. The word sozo in Greek means by a body, mind, and soul healed. The whole of you completely and totally healed. The best and most urgent needed place for that healing today in our society and our world is family. I want to tell you, God wants to heal your family. If you've been raised in such a way that you don't have a relationship with your parents and you're hearing all of this and you're saying, "Cray, I'm hearing what you're saying, but this is not possible. If you understood what they did to me, it's not possible. Friend, here's the thing. God doesn't want you to live with the pain. God wants to heal you. You're not doing this for them. You're doing this for you. You're doing this for you. And God wants to reconcile. You can honor your parents. You don't have to trust them. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to even respect them to some degree, but you can honor them. You can treat them with value. You can accept them and you can affirm them. And I believe that I'm going to pray for you shortly that God would come and do a work in you where forgiveness would flow, healing would flow, because God wants you to be whole.